Welcome to Scottish Ballet's Half Hour Call. It's a bloodstain. Escape the backstage commotion and find a quiet moment in the dressing room of Scottish Ballet. In each episode, we'll be joined by special guests for a frank and unfiltered conversation about the world we live in and where a ballet company fits into it. In this episode, Scottish Ballet's Head of Performance Medicine, Martin Lanfear, is joined by Miles Thatcher, choreographer and dancer with San Francisco Ballet, Bruno Micciardi, Scottish Ballet soloist, and Scottish Ballet's Director of Engagement, Catherine Cassidy, for an open and candid discussion about masculinity in ballet. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is your half-hour call to the start of this evening's performance. You have 30 minutes. Your half-hour call, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Welcome everybody to Scottish Ballet's Half Hour Call. I'm your host today, I'm Martin Lamphia, and I'm joined by Catherine Cassidy, Bruno McCarty, and Miles Thatcher. Hello everybody. Yeah, right, Martin. Hello. Hi, Martin. Just going to take our listeners on a wee bit of a journey and uh, introduce them all to you. Miles, you're, you're a friend of Scottish Ballet, but some of our listeners might be quite interested in your story. How did you get into dance? Um, hey, Martin. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, I started dancing when I was probably eight or nine years old. And I was the kind of kid that um, was had a lot of energy, but wasn't very competitive. So um, I kind of got my foot in the door through theater. And there was a there was a dance teacher at the theater program I was doing that um, dis- discovered me. No, that sounds too pretentious. Um, saw me in a studio and, and thought I had some some talent, so told my mom to stick me into ballet class. And at first, I really did not want to go because I was the only boy that would be there. Um, but my mom said, if you stick through it for three classes and still don't like it, uh, then you can quit. And um, I ended up sticking with it. So so then I kind of made my way to San Francisco Ballet through a few training programs. Um, and I joined San Francisco Ballet in 2009. And uh, now I'm a soloist there. Um, and I'm still there today. And I also do a lot of choreography, um, which is something I started as I joined the company. So uh, yeah, I'm really glad to have uh carved carved this path and found myself here brilliant and you mentioned you mentioned there that you're into choreography and you choreographed uh, scottish ballet's film frontiers which was part of our digital season in 2019 um and the theme of that film relates to the topic that we're discussing today how how was that uh choreographing that with with scottish ballet and can you tell us a little bit about that process absolutely it, it was amazing um when chris hampson reached out reached out to me to create something he had just heard about a ballet I did with San Francisco Ballet that was really inspecting the gender binary and kind of um, uh, both through like a narrative story, but also through my own process of how I use dancers or involved dancers' genders in you know partnering and casting and everything. And 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 I think that's that's a that discussion is happening more and more with my generation of choreographers and creators and dancers and artists, um, as it is with society. Uh, so for frontiers, I really wanted, you know, it's just a short film. It's probably around three minutes, uh, but I wanted to see if I could keep kind of inspecting this process of movement creation that, um, plays less emphasis on dancers, gender and more on dancers, 
skill sets and talents. So Bruno was one of the beautiful dancers in that um, short film. And and I kind of, uh, we created choreography that could be danced by multiple pairings of gender. So, so we had um, male and male pas de deux, male and female pas de deux, and female and female pas de deux that were essentially the same choreography, um, yet danced with uh, different gender pairings. And it was super fun. Um, I was there just for a few days to create it, but we kind of banged it out and and I'm really happy with it. It's really beautiful. It's <laughs> great. And you, and you mentioned him there, Bruno McCarty. Um, Bruno, you've been with Scottish Ballet for four years now. Um, how did your story in dance begin? Um, I think it's similar to Miles. Uh, I was a really energetic, overactive kid. I think I, I still am an overactive kid. But um, yeah, I think uh, my mom basically tried to send me to every single kind of after school activity she could. I did uh, football, ballet, karate, you name it, I was doing it. Um, I think it was just so I was super, super tired in the evenings and, and I wasn't annoying her. But um, but yeah, I, uh, I grew up in Spain and that's where I started dancing around the age of six. And then, um, yeah, similar to Miles, didn't really want to do it at all. But it kind of stuck. I had uh, some teachers that seemed to think I had something. And yeah, then I went to the Royal Valley School. I went to lower school and then upper school. So I spent five years at the Royal Valley School. Then I moved abroad to Estonia for six years and danced there. And now Scottish Ballet. Brilliant. And uh, when you reflect back on starting out as a dancer, has much changed since then? I don't know. I guess when I started dancing, um, ballet was not necessarily something that many boys did at least not any boys I knew um my mom was a dancer so that's kind of why she decided to put me in that kind of route but um yeah I I feel like maybe despite all of its cliches and and exaggerations and things I think uh Billy Elliot helped to kind of put ballet for boys on the map and, and normalize that a bit but um but yeah, I think I when well, I mean I I hope what's changed since I started dancing was more acceptance about men and and boys dancing. I think uh, I remember when I was in school um I was playing it or tag, I'm not sure what people call it, but um with some of my friends and uh we were running around and I, I older bigger kids kind of just said to me, "Oh, you know, of course you're chasing boys." And then like punched me in the stomach. Um, and that was a, that was a bit of a, I mean, that was, yeah, that, that happens, I guess. And, um, but I hope it happens less and less now. I think that's what I'm hoping has changed most. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, and Catherine, as someone who has danced and then moved into our engagement department, what has your journey been through the art form? Um, I actually started as a Highland dancer, um, which is a Scottish traditional dance um, involving dancing on swords amongst other things <laughs> um, and I I really loved it and then I was lucky enough to have an amazing uh, PE teacher who was really into contemporary dance and had done quite a bit of training and she ran lots of dance clubs at the secondary school and I got into choreography at a very early age like at 14 or something I was making work and we had a local choreography competition um, which was a really big deal and the standard was quite high um so choreography was always the thing I wanted to do rather than to perform I wasn't quite as good at standing at the bar for hours on end perfecting the technique I wanted to be directing and moving and having ideas and telling everyone what to do um which prepared me quite well for the job I'm in now um 
but yeah, I guess um, dance. It's interesting to hear Miles and Bruno talking about, you know, their family's role in getting them into dance. And actually, I I have three sons and all of them have danced. And one of them actually is a particularly talented break dancer and I suspect contemporary too, um, but wouldn't go to Bali because he was the only guy in the room. And I guess, that, you know, it's like that that standard scenario. So um, it's it's interesting to know um, when you're really little, how, how much of a step forward you can take into dance as a boy with support from your family. But um, the right environment needs to exist for people to kind of flourish in it. And I think, you know, when I did my dance training, there was only one guy in our year I think there was only one guy in the year above and maybe two in the year below us. Um, and I think that's changed hugely. I don't think it's just Billy Elliot. I actually think that also some of the big sort of Saturday night entertainment shows like Strictly, um, Britain's Got Talent, those kind of entertainment environments have shown that not only can men dance and compete, but they can also be judges and, you know, facilitate dance for people as well and critique dance and give feedback and direct dance so I think that's been really exciting and you touched upon it there about creating environments and and you're, you've been crucial in setting up Scottish Ballet Safe to Me project can you can you talk to us a little bit about that give us a bit of an overview yeah Safe to Be Me um it we started it about four years ago and essentially we wanted to create something that would explore identity um, for young people sort of aged 10 to 12 years. We were really looking at race, gender orientation, sexual orientation, um, ability and disability and bigotry were the kind of the five key areas. They were at the time they were government priorities to address them in Scotland. Um, and what we had wanted to do was to create a space where young people could see a performance um, that looked at labels, that looked at um, environments where people felt really safe to thrive, people who didn't feel safe to thrive and to open up those discussions. And it occurred to us um, that, you know, the difference of families was a, what was one of the ways in. So that's one of the aspects we looked at. And also the gender spectrum was really crucial because it just wasn't being talked about in school whatsoever. You know, what is the gender spectrum? But gender, you know, even today, it's still viewed in quite a binary way, even although we've, we've taken massive steps forward. And gender was gender was one of the topics that we felt just still isn't being talked about enough in school and between families and that sort of thing. And just normalising the fact that even if you're assigned a female or male gender at birth, you might not be um, and you might not identify. And also that there is a spectrum that we're all kind of on that spectrum. So and it was really fascinating to hear about even from a little age, how toys people weren't allowed to play with the toys that they wanted to play with and wear the clothes that they wanted to and that not allowed to go to karate if you're a girl not allowed to play football if you're a girl not allowed to dance if you're a boy and you know I really feel that we have taken massive strides away from that but the conversation still needs to happen and so you know that's why that's why safe to me is so exciting for us absolutely I think that probably uh allows us to segue on to the next bit as we you know it's very important for us to have conversations i think that's why we're all on this call today and, and we're going to sort of get into the main topic of exploring masculinity within dance and within ballet and what it means and what it has meant and what it could be in the future as well so i suppose the first point i want us to take us to and it's probably more directed towards bruno and miles is you both mentioned that there were certain misconceptions when you started out in dance 
Is this something that we we still need to deal with today? Yeah, I, I think I think this conversation, um, especially for students, especially for for kids, uh, comes up uh, a lot. For me, I I never um, I didn't come out as a ballet dancer <laughs> to anybody in my middle school because I just knew I was already being picked on. Like I was a um, not out yet, but I was a gay, like a chubby gay kid, and and I didn't <laughs> I, I wasn't the most social in my public middle school in Pennsylvania, which is like a rural part of the States. Um, and I just knew it would be, it would, it would make my life so much harder to, uh, tell people that I was also a ballet dancer because it's just more fodder for, you know, bullying, which, which is, is hard enough at that age. I think it's a really hard age to kind of get through and survive because everybody's really trying to figure out how to treat people and still learning empathy and, and all of those things. And I mean, I'm happy to say that once, once I left home when I was a teenager to start professionally training in some um, kind of ballet boarding schools and trainee programs and everything, I uh, it was really a non-factor for me um, um, being bullied for or being I don't know I, I I never I only had appreciation from people for being a ballet dancer because I think as I got older and as the people around me got older. Um, I think people do respect the work that goes into the art form and that's, and that's really beautiful. Um, although it's, it's been interesting. I think, uh, you know, on the topic of masculinity, my, my whole life I've been signaled that the, the, the most worthy parts of me because I am male are the masculine parts. And, and I find that um, including in the ballet world, often my feminine parts are not encouraged to be shown in the way that my masculinity is. And I think that's been something that um, perhaps because the world of ballet has these preconceptions of all men are feminine and gay because we, you know, wear tights and, um, and are in a very aesthetic art form instead of a sport or something that's combative or anything. Um, that sometimes I, I've also found that maybe there's even more pushback against my femininity in the art form because you know we a lot of a lot of people are on this defense um, of trying to protect their masculine masculinity within the ballet world and I and the older I get the more I think about how interesting that is and therefore I've really tried to model my presence at the workplace. Um, to really encourage all parts of me to show up to work, whether that's what I wear or how I act or how I signal to other dancers or um, how I form community or bring people in. Uh, and I think that's something that's the older I get, the more kind of the, the more I dig deep and start really combing out all of these terms anyway, because, you know, man and woman and masculinity and femininity, as we were mentioning before, are, shouldn't be binary concept, concepts when it comes to the reality of what it is to be human. And I think that's something um, that the Safe to Be Me program sounds really amazing that that we're breaking down, uh, we're breaking down and educating uh, not only for people who might uh, look up, look, look up or look for trans role models or non-binary role models, but also people who can just apply that to whether um, they feel safe expressing their entire selves 
regardless of their gender identity or their um, sexual orientation. Because at the end of the day, I think you can be a straight cis man and still own the parts of yourself that feel feminine or anything like this. So I think that, I think there's a lot of real beauty to the nuances of those conversations. And I think that's what's really exciting to see where our society is coming to, or maybe even coming back to, because a lot of indigenous and native cultures have already had this understanding of uh, like this divinity and queerness and this divinity in the nuance of gender and sexuality. And um, I know in America, at least there are a lot of conservative voices saying that, you know, all of this is kind of a fad and these conversations are these, it's just cool right now. But it, at the end of the day, like uh, these identities have existed for thousands of years. And, and it's exciting to me that we're getting back to a, a place where we can really start to honor them again. And that's something exciting to me. And that's something that I've, I've really tried to um, uh, incorporate into my work as a choreographer and as a dancer and just as a human um, who's uh, involved in this art form because it's it's super important to me. Yeah. So <laughs> all of those things are exciting. I really like the term you used there, Mars. And was it protect your masculinity or promote your masculinity? I thought that really, really interesting use of terms there to, to sort of describe your experiences. Um, if we take it, take it forward and we sort of talk about where masculinity fits within ballet, um, how is masculinity being portrayed in ballet today, but also in the past? And Maybe I'll maybe I'll start with Bruno there and sort of work work around. I feel like there's there's a massive um, I guess outdated idea um, in all of the older ballets that um, the man is is a I don't know a hyper masculine being who saves the the damsel in distress. Um, I feel like that's something that has been quite a mainstay uh, for a long time, especially in traditional classical ballet. And I think now what's really changing is I think choreographers have this incredible freedom and this, you know, education and, and just this drive to, to push boundaries and, and question those things. And I think that's something that, uh, I mean, I, I know when Miles came to make Frontiers in us, he, uh, he walked into the studio and he was like, you know, I'm, I'm bored of, of seeing a man lift a woman. You know, I, w- I want to I change that. I, w- I want to see how much a girl can, how high a girl can lift a girl, you know, and, and things like this. And, and it, I remember just thinking, wow, like that's, yeah, that's true. I, I, I don't see enough of that. Um, so I think that's something that's maybe a bit uh, antiquated in the old ballets is this kind of idea of, oh, you know, the man is, you know, a prince and, and all he's looking for is a wife and he must save, you know, the woman. And, and I think now I think, yeah, choreography in general, a lot of it is pushing that and, and questioning that, which is important. I don't know if, if Miles, if you can add any more on that. Yeah, certainly. I, I mean, I, I also think a lot of the, the bread and butter of um, classical ballet are the classics, which were created, you know, a few hundred years ago. And most of the, stories told were a created by straight white men (laughs) and, and, and had the lens that, that they had. And, and B, I think it's important to account for even just like uh, practices in society then. And, and there, there, there was so much more, even, even looking at 
marriage, right? If we're looking at some a ballet like Giselle, like there's so much marriage is defined completely differently now than it was, um, you know, for royalty, like Eurocentric royalty a few hundred years ago, right? It's so there's always more there's always opportunity to carve out more space with this art form. And I think there's a really interesting conversation on um, kind of separating uh, masculine gender expression from gender identity in the ballet world. I remember, I remember discourse about pink tights recently in contemporary ballets and versus nude legs specifically for women. And I remember there was one critic who stated in, in one of the new works we did in our company that the ballerinas who um, had nude legs, or bare legs, basically, instead of tights, their legs looked too masculine because you could see their musculature. And the function of pink tights is partly to erase the muscles on a woman's body. And I was so flabbergasted by this comment, just because I, you know, I, with how athletic ballet and dance is, I, I think it's fine for women to be proud of the muscles that move them and create such power and strength. And it's, and you know, I, I think it's hard to talk about masculine, like really um, talk about masculinity without also talking about femininity and also talking about what is masculine and feminine and for who, right? So um, for this critic, I, when women's legs muscles were too ma- masculine for him, which I, would disagree because I think there's something super beautiful about seeing an artist and athlete's body as it functions. And, and as these dancers have been training their whole lives to, to um, shape and refine. And I think there's a lot there that is evolving. I don't think we've really locked into it yet. Um, and I don't know if we ever will. And I think that's okay too. I think, I think the last thing we want is this art form to kind of feel like a precious, um, relic on a shelf that we just kind of brush off to uh, present every every so often. So I think that's such a such a powerful and succinct way of just sort of summing summing where we are and where we've been up, uh, Miles. That's great. And sort of on that, you know, outdated gender norm uh, topic, Catherine, have you got anything to add? You deal with a lot with you know the younger people, the the next generation of choreographers. Have you got something that you'd like to add with from your experience? your topic there Miles around the tights and the musculature of uh, female dancers and interesting for me I've been at Scottish Ballet for 11 years now just to see the difference in the body shape of the female dancers are you know at the gym now building muscle and really focused on feeling strong feeling healthy eating well eating nutritious food you know I mean that's so exciting for me and I think um that's not that's not a masculine part of their you know to see the strength and the muscle tone building you know it, it it's athletic it's you know and I think it's um it's that conversation is really interesting um around what we're seeing happening on the stage and what people want to see I guess and um, maybe that critic is hopefully one of the people who are maybe with a slightly outdated perspective on it something else I was thinking about was a little bit about a lot of the work that we see where we're looking at gender now is 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 sometimes abstract and I wonder if narrative is what people love because in Matthew Bourne Swan Lake the guys the male swans are are so beautiful they're so elegant they're so strong that it's such a gorgeous masculine energy and then of course you've got that masculine romantic relationship at kind of at the center point of it and 
just made me wonder a little bit around narrative and, and whether that's important um, because people really did embrace that work. It was hugely popular. And so it's maybe not that audiences aren't as interested or excited in it. It's just maybe that we're not brave enough in the ballet world to continue to present gender in that that really dynamic way that's pushing our thought and our imagination and our creativity. Miles, Bruno, have you got anything to add in terms of what we think companies could be doing to, to move forward? I see a big lack of um, space for for trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming students, which really cuts off the pipeline to, to any company company life. And I think specifically in the classical ballet world where we have such a gendered upbringing, which is either you're gearing to be dancing on point as a woman, or you're gearing to be training with your men's technique um, of jumping and turning and lifting. And I think, I think, I, I think, I think we're just now starting to see, um, a few positions being filled in companies in the States, at least, um, that have hired dancers that will dance both, um, female and male, traditional female and male, whatever that even means anymore, um, roles. Uh, so, so roles made for men or for women. And I think that's super exciting to me because, um, yeah, it's heartbreaking to me to think that an art form that has, that I've gained so much from and learned so much about myself from really is not accessible to everybody just, just because of um, the rigidity in the binary growing up. Um, so I would love to see kind of, kind of more space and less alienation and less, uh, less need for the choice, I guess. Um, yeah. I, it's interesting. I, I just, I just finished a new work with this company called ballet, 22 that started in the pandemic they they formed in the pandemic and it's um a ballet company that that hires men and non-binary dancers that all dance on point um and it was so fun creating with them because it was just such a new way to start thinking about a, a point who is not a gendered object and that's not something that is uh common for me because i'm not I was just raised in this ballet world where I'm like, oh, I see a point shoe. It's feminine. I see pretty feminine lines, and 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 so I made a a a, a bigger piece, but I made this pas de deux for two men, and one was on point, and one was not. Um, and and for me, it was like, okay, how do I fight this trope of creating the guy on point to just be a be a role made for a woman? And I, I think that was just that was such an exciting. Uh, creation for me and and it turned out really beautiful they were just oh they were so gorgeous um but i think i think uh starting to see companies pop up like this and starting to see dancers hired in positions that a director is willing to really examine who they are and what their talents are and put them in an appropriate role based on what their capacity is and not just what their gender is is super exciting to me and i hope that we can kind of keep the ball rolling with that conversation and the, and the actions behind the conversation. Um, I think uh, personally it, it touches a little bit on what Catherine said about um, having the conversations with schools and, and, and young people. I think, I think exposure and, and transparency amongst, you know, those kinds of topics, that's what's going to make a massive difference. I know personally from when I was younger, the only 
men I ever saw on point was Ballet Trocadero. And it was done, I mean, and they're incredible, but it was done in like a jokey way. So it, it was, even that was just not necessarily being like, this is absolutely okay and normal and, and, and should be accepted everywhere. It was like, oh, it's niche, you know? And I think that's the, that was the only kind of exposure I had uh, when I was growing up. So um, I think the fact that there are these companies now, like as Miles has worked with and, and many more, hopefully, and that's, that along with education from a younger age, I think that's what's going to really start I don't know, making a real dent and a, a bit of a difference moving forward, I think. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your Act One Beginner's Call. Ladies and gentlemen of the orchestra, would you please make your way to the pit? Your Act One Beginner's Call, please, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. So this brings us to the Beginner's Call. This is the part of the episode where we give our guests the opportunity to share what they want you, the listeners, to take away from our conversation. We're going to fast forward 10 years, no COVID, no masks, happy days. Um, in terms of this this topic, though, masculinity within ballet, where would we hope to see the industry in, in 10 years' time? And if I can start with you, Catherine. I guess <clears throat> celebrating all the positive aspects of the gender spectrum, masculinity, femininity, non-binary aspects, transgender aspects, everything on that spectrum and allowing us to really own it artistically as well, to really explore it and, you know, makes me sad but also curious to think about when Bruno was talking about you know being a, a, a male dancer a young male dancer and a student and it's also almost pushed him to being hyper masculine because you know that's the role of the prince that's the role of the king or those those roles that everyone aspires to be in is strong is powerful is saving the woman is saving the village I'm interested in in us going much deeper than that and actually looking at um, celebrating male role models on the stage where we can see their femininity, we can see the grace, we can see um, the vulnerability um, in them and and that we just see it with much more honest honesty and a, and a much more honest reflection of where we are today, actually. Bruno, where would you like to see us in 10 years' time? I think there's a place for masculinity and femininity in ballet. I think it's very important. I think um, it does, you know, add a lot of things, but I don't think it has to be this kind of, or oh, the man is masculine and the woman is feminine. I think there's, you can explore a, a man's femininity as well. You know, we don't have to live by these kind of rules of, uh, uh, because I'm a male dancer, I've got to be competitive and, and hyper-physical and, and aggressive. You know, I, I think, I think those are traits that, you know, anybody can have and cannot have. And I think that's what I, I would hope to see in 10 years. I would hope people would just be true to themselves and just kind of not have to face any kind of bullying or any kind of pushback or or being put in a box or the fact that people look for a label for someone i think i think just you know live and let live and 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 that's what i i personally want to see in, in the dance world with choreography with create creations and stuff i just i want it to just kind of be like great this person you know they might be a bit more of a feminine man or a more masculine woman great let me use that let me put that in the spotlight um i guess i guess that's that's my thought on it and miles i think something that's always been encouraging for me is to see how this next generation is is already so in, evolved in how they are 
talking about the nuances of gender and sexuality and gender expression. And I think that's, that's something of just being part of the queer community and seeing the evolution, like the generational evolution of our understanding of ourselves and each other in regards to these topics. Um, It's incredible how quickly this conversation is evolving. And, and in 10 years, I hope, I hope that there's a new conversation that we're not yet talking about that, that somebody is, you know, picking up with the creators and the artists and we're like pushing forward. I think, I think it's, it's really a constant, um, it's a constant reevaluation of, of where we are and where we could be. And I hope I don't yet know where that is. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, as, as, um, Catherine and Bruno said, of course, I, like, I, I would love to see, just more space created for different, different kinds of dancers. I think it's, I think it's beautiful to see masculine men and feminine women on stage. And I also think it's beautiful to see feminine men and masculine women on stage and everything in between. I also would love to see ballet really push what is acceptable with body types. I think like, I, I would love to see just more diversity, not only on stage, but behind the scenes with our creators, with the different dance forms we accept, with the um, abilities and disabilities we we kind of incorporate into the into the art form of movement. I I I'm a big, you know, um, defender of more is more when it comes to art, and I think I think there really is space for it all, um, and and still maintaining the excellence of of the art form and the in you know and the technique that we that we know is needed and, and we all admire. Brilliant. Well, look, thanks. Thanks to the three of you for joining us today. And thanks to all our listeners. And uh, this has been a really interesting and positive discussion. Thanks so much, Martin. Thanks for having me. Thanks everyone. That was really great to chat. Thank you for listening to Scottish Ballet's Half Hour Call. This podcast is produced by Scottish Ballet, with thanks to Bespoken Media and sound designer Joel Cox. This is a pilot episode of what we hope will become a full podcast series. We'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and suggestions for the series so that you can help shape its future. Please email your feedback to podcast at scottishballet.co.uk. If you enjoyed this episode, sign up for free to join our membership community and get access to exclusive content via scottishballet.co.uk.